Grumpy Old Geeks, a weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Welcome to Grumpy Old Geeks. I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm a very exhausted Brian Schulmeister. Why are you so exhausted, Brian? Let's just say I'm not looking forward to summer vacation. I understand these things now. (laughs) (laughs) Are you being Mr. Mom? Oh, my God. My kid got a flu on Sunday night, and he has been home all week. Uh, No school whatsoever because he's been uh, contagious and and sick and all of that. And it's been raining in Southern California, which means we haven't gotten out of the house. And before you say from other parts of the world, well, you could have just bundled him up. He was contagious. There was nowhere to take him. And taking your kid out in the rain, in the cold when he is already sick is irresponsible. So, yes, it it, is. It's been a very (laughs) long week. Oh, poor baby. Poor baby. Okay. Well, let's move on to some follow-up. Let's do it. All right. uh, Star Trek Discovery last night premiered with uh, season two. Did you get a chance to watch it? No, because I've been waiting for it to premiere in Sweden. Ah, well, see, you know what I did, Brian? What? I paid for CBS All Access for a year. Did you? Hmm. Yes, I did. It would cost me like $66, and I got the entire year. Mm -hmm. I got the commercial version because I read the fine print for the non-commercial version, Mm -hmm. and it said... Some shows may have commercials. And I'm like, well, what that's the not fuck a non commercial version. Then? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, you know what? I, I do have to pee sometimes when I'm watching the show. So I'll just right. take the commercials. So 66 bucks for the year. So I am now, I am subsidizing Star Trek Discovery and Picard mm-hmm. and uh, a myriad of other shows. They've added a lot to the catalog there. So I, I thought it was worth the spend. It's okay. like five five bucks a month, you know. I haven't really told. looked at it yet, but certainly once Picard is up, I will I will gladly then pay for it. I can I can justify paying for two shows. Yeah, and they've got a Roku channel, so it plays like you know native on my TV. Right. So I thought it was a I thought it was an easy one. It saves me the time of going to Sweden, and uh, okay. I will say that the first episode is delightful. Oh, I good. enjoyed it the entire way through. I I, I was smiling the whole time. I wonder if this means I'll dislike it because we seem to have differing opinions on this on this discovery so far. <laughs> probably, probably, but I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I you know I it was like I watched it at eleven o'clock last night because I'm like I got to watch this for the show tomorrow, and I'm like this is way past my bedtime because I usually go to bed <laughs> at nine, and I was up till like midnight watching the show just to, just to, so I could do this little bit. Right, and so I'm sleep deprived. I got four hours of sleep, but you know what? It was worth it because man, I'm loving the new season. Awesome. Well, I'm going to definitely be checking it out shortly, hopefully over the weekend. Uh, a little bit of follow up on the egg, the Eggman on Instagram that uh, became the most uh, popular, most liked photo on all of Instagram's history. Uh, Recode is asking the question, is having the most popular photo on Instagram worth anything? We're about to find out. And then they did an interview with a bunch of people that do ad sales on the internets. And basically, they're saying that this could be a $250,000 single ad run on this account that uh, has only one other photo. Another advertising executive said it could sell for close to a million dollars because there's no there's no the normal rules around how an influencer can charge per follower doesn't apply to a viral sensation like the Instagram egg. And I personally have not followed up on this, but I hope. Boy, do I hope this is an old school Internet person that isn't going to cash out and is just doing it to do it. I hope they cash out and retire and just get the (laughs) hell off of Instagram. They're like, okay, we're done. We don't need to do this anymore. But what I did like in the article was there was one person that was the voice of sanity that says every second that goes by that opportunity is closing. So they need Mm -hmm. to whatever they're going to do. They need to do it it fast. Yeah, do it fast because 
It's an egg. Nobody cares about an egg. There's no follow up. So they whatever they're going to do, they need to do it yesterday. Yep. And over at Wired, there's an article about Facebook's 10 year challenge. Is it just a harmless meme? And this comes back to what somebody posted in feedback last week saying, hey, maybe this is Facebook training their AI so they know, you know, what we look like 10 years ago and what they what we look like now, which is dumb. I got to say that is the. I I know what it's supposed to mean and all that. It's like, okay, you get two pictures, one 10 years, one now, and then the AI can train on how people age. They already know that. They have your pictures from 10 years ago. They probably have pictures from your baby shower from your mom so they can look in her womb and see what you look like. (laughs) There's There's no reasonable expectation that this is a thing. I'm slightly with you on the on the this is a tinfoil hat thing. Uh, I did read there's a lot of articles, a lot of articles. So many shocking. Um, But some good points did come out of it. The main point being, well, this does kind of make sense for them in terms of it's getting a very simple, easy data set that you can track with a hashtag as opposed to having to actually use some real people to go through and go and figure out the dates on certain things, because you can't just you can't just take a photo that was posted 10 years ago and automatically know that that's from 10 years ago. It could have been an older one. Or, you know what I mean? So there, the only argument that I saw for this being a thing that maybe Facebook kind of crassly started themselves or whatever is the fact that it's the ease of the data collection. This is making it super easy for anybody to do. And the, the, the real worry is it's not just Facebook, because if it's public, anybody can control this stuff and anybody's facial recognition thing can get kicked up a notch here. Yeah, I just don't see it. I think this is an accidental meme. You know, I, I honestly I think it's think. just a viral thing that happened. It's uh, yeah. but uh, but uh, the other article that I saw or the other point that I saw, and I don't even remember which article said it in, is the one upshot of this is people are starting to ask questions and people are starting to look at things critically and going, am I giving away something here? Do I trust these people here? And that's what's actually starting to happen with this. So that's a good thing. OK, if you say so, I I just don't see it personally. I really don't. I think yeah. it's I, I think this is just, you know, people like us who figured some things out and wanted to write some articles and get some page views. <laughs> Honestly, I, get some- no, I, agree, I agree that that's what it is, too. But again, the, the idea that people are actually starting to wonder what's going on is, is a good thing instead of just blindly trusting social media. No, I'm cool with that. I'm totally yep. cool with that. Yeah. The, you know, the, the smarter you are, <laughs> knowing is half the battle, all that shit. G.I. Joe, G.I. Jane, whatever. Now, uh, Microsoft is pledging $500 million to tackle the housing crisis in Seattle, which is an interesting thing, which I'm good with. I'm good with, except for the fact that they're not like giving the money away. They're giving it as loans. Some of some are like subprime loans. So, you know, Mm -hmm. below the normal normal rate just to boost construction costs and the rest are going to be at regular rates. So they're not really doing much besides being a bank, you know, which I thought was kind of lame. I'm like, yeah, you just give away the money. <laughs> yeah, but, you've, you've got all the money in the world, but uh, OK, at least they're doing something in, in, you know, reading all the different articles about this. I understand what they're trying to do. They're like, OK, we could spend five hundred million dollars and come up with like, you know, maybe eleven hundred units. But if we, you know, help the construction guys build new housing developments and help them jumpstart. So if they get a loan from us, that will give other people uh, the chance to give them more credit to build right. these buildings and then sell it. So they're looking at, you know, tens of thousands of units versus, you know, a small amount just for buying right. them outright. A long-term, so, a long-term plan as opposed to a quick and easy fix. Exactly. So I think yeah. it's very smart. You know, I was on the fence when I first read it, and then I'm like, oh, that's kind of douchey. But then I'm like, okay, I read the rationale behind it, and mm-hmm. I'm like, 
that's it's extremely smart. Those people yeah. at Microsoft, apparently they got brains. Who they did it? Been around yeah. for a while. <laughs> no. Uh, so um, who in San Francisco is going to take up the mantle for this, too? Because they've been fighting about that tax that uh, nobody wants to pay for for the homeless and, and building low, you know, low income housing. Not just San Francisco. I would say anywhere with these tech corridors. Silicon Beach needs it here in Venice and Santa Monica. There's no doubt about it. Rents, rents are through the roof. There is no low-income housing. There are tons of homeless people living here, and there's tons of money. Yeah, yeah. The problem with – well, actually, it's the same problem in San Francisco is you mm-hmm. have a very limited amount of real estate. So you got to go exactly. up. You yep. have to go up. <laughs> and San Francisco is already used to going up. They've got tons of high-rises. But, I mean, this was a, something we talked about in San Francisco not too long ago. That's why I brought it up. And hopefully somebody will, you know, say, hey, that's actually a pretty good idea. Let's let's jump on that. So maybe the guys at Stripe who were mm-hmm. so against that big tax because they, <laughs> they they got screwed on that deal will throw in their hat and say, hey, can we just roll back that tax and not make it you know, the way it is right now? And we'll give you some money as loans and then we'll figure it all out. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a, maybe it's a leveraging point for them that they can go go forward with. Right. We'll see. So and YouTube is banning Dangerous prank videos after the bird box fiascos. <laughs> I love this. I love okay. this. So uh, I have questions. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, hit me. Well, let me, let me explain it first. Okay. So what they're saying is, okay, we know that you guys love challenges and pranks and you put them on YouTube and it's fantastic. Okay. But some of them are dangerous, like this stupid bird box prank that everybody's mm-hmm. doing. The bird box challenge, which we've seen people crash cars. I saw a guy get a tattoo this morning. It is so stupid, but what they're doing is saying, okay, well, challenges that have a risk of injury or death, death being a major thing, they're going to start pulling them, mm-hmm. right? right? Now, I'm like, okay, that's great, but if you can funnel your filters and your AI at stupid bird box things, why can't you do that with hate speech and all of the <laughs> other things you're supposed to be filtering for that you can't seem to get your shit together with? That's the thing that gets me. Yeah, well, that okay. My two main points about this is the first is is this just AI or, or are they actually going to have to ramp up real people looking at stuff to determine what what is what? Right? They're looking what, at tags. Is, is this? It's yeah, tags. they're just looking at tags, which means next to nothing because it's very easy to get around that, obviously. So you're not really increasing the amount of people looking at things. You're just kind of catch as catch can as it goes. And the second point that I make here is. Isn't this explicitly admitting that you're no longer a platform? No, I mean they have they they've been they've been filtering <laughs> content for years. I know, but it's uh, it's it's time to step up now. YouTube, get rid of the hate speech. Mm-hmm. Yep, get rid yeah. of all the other stuff on there that we all know is on there and is actually making you money. You it's can do such, it. Uh, it's such a ridiculously hard problem, though. Thinking it about is. how much how much video gets uploaded per minute, mm-hmm. like twenty four hours per minute gets uploaded. Which is there. insane. insane. Yeah. So they have to have algorithmic machine learning AI to help figure this out. But if they can just say, I mean, honestly, all this is going to be, they're looking at hashtags. That's, yeah. that's all they're going to end up If it says hashtag bird box challenge, it's going to get pulled. Pretty much. That's, that's, <laughs> that's about it. it. Yep. And I found a great article over on time.com, Time Magazine, mm-hmm. amazingly still a thing, by none other <laughs> than Tim Cook himself. Hmm. It's called You Deserve Privacy Online. Here's how you could actually get it by Tim Cook. He is standing up and, and just shouting at the stars going, we need legislation to stop this shit. 
Good. We're over it. I, I love Tim Cook. I love him more and more. I think he's doing a phenomenal job leading the charge on this and somebody has to and the fact that it's coming from basically the one of the largest companies one of the two largest companies in the world is a good thing so keep yelling tim cook keep screaming it puts some pressure on some of your cohorts in there yeah i'm going to just read this real quick he says last year before a global body of privacy regulators i laid out four principles that i believe should guide legislation first the right to have personal data minimized Companies should challenge themselves to strip identifying information from customer data to avoid collecting it in the first place. Second, the right to knowledge, to know what data is being collected and why. Third, the right to access. Companies should make it easy for you to access, correct, and delete your personal data. And fourth, the right to data security, without which trust is impossible. You go, Tim. I mean, that's great. I mean, yeah. it's going to have to fundamentally change the entire principles on which our current modern internet of shit is uh, is is organized. But uh, I'm down with it. This is what should be happening. Yeah, and he also goes after data brokers. It's like, okay, once you give your data to somebody else and then they sell it to a data broker, it's in the wind. It's gone. You mm-hmm. have no recourse. You have no idea where it's gone. And putting these people on notice is part of what he is proposing. And I love it. I mean, we yep. need to do this. It's getting ridiculous. Yep. Who would have thought that we'd be sitting here uh, in 2019 and it's Amazon or not Amazon. It's Apple and Microsoft that are kind of leading the charge on things. Yeah. I I mean, it's a new world. It's a brave new world. In the news. Ah, Germany. They're so quick to make things illegal and it's so wonderful. Uh, They have made the Amazon dash buttons illegal. And uh, this argument, the argument in this article is so should you because they're ridiculous. Uh, Amazon dash buttons have been ruled illegal in Germany for violating consumer protection legislation, according to Reuters. I think it's Reuters. Yes, Reuters reports Reuters. For the uninitiated, the buttons allow customers to order products like laundry detergent with just the push of a button, which is a Wi-Fi connected device you can buy from Amazon for four ninety nine. So they get your five bucks, you put a button somewhere, you press the button, and it just reorders products for you. It's attached to a specific product, and that's that. I feel um, like a rat in a maze with one of those. If I had that in my, that's one of the reasons I never bought one. I'm like, <laughs> you, you know, the rat presses the button for the cocaine yes. pellet. The rat presses the button for the cocaine pellet. That's all it is. I need my Tide Pods. Where's my Tide yes. Pods? Give me some more Tide Pods. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we all thought it was kind of an April Fool's joke when they first announced it, but no, it's real and they've sold quite a few of them. But the court is basically saying that you do not have price information. You don't know how much Amazon is selling that Tide for when you agree to buy it, when you hit the button. And mm-hmm. that's illegal. So you can't have these buttons anymore. Bye bye. So what Tide or not Tide? <laughs> I'm stuck <laughs> on Tide pods. Uh, yeah. What Amazon needs to do is put a little LCD readout yep. on there and, and show the price. That's yep. it. And actually, I don't even they shouldn't even just be able to show the price. They should show if it's changed since the last time you ordered. That would be the correct way to do it. Oh, that's actually pretty good. I don't know that that would be a bigger. That. L- yeah, that would mean a bigger <laughs> LCD screen, which means the Tide or the uh, Amazon dash buttons. I'm stuck on the Tide pod thing. I don't know why. You I know you really, are. Um, you really that, are. There'd be 10 bucks, you know, instead of five <laughs> bucks. But the yeah. great thing about I think most of these Amazon dash buttons are bought by hackers who buy them and then just, you know, take them apart and then re reprogram them to do different things around their house because there are a ton of cool tutorials out there of what you can do with these dash buttons because they're pretty neat. Yeah, I agree. Title. Mm. I'm still, maybe that's why I'm stuck on Tide because I knew the next story was title. Title Mm -hmm. is actually being investigated in Norway 
for their bogus stream numbers. Remember when we said that uh, uh, all internet statistics are bullshit? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they're accused of inflating their overall subscriber numbers from three hundred fifty thousand to one million, but what? also like the numbers for the actual amount of streams that were mm-hmm. pushed out for Beyonce and Kanye. The it the math doesn't add up, as Judge Judy would say. It doesn't have the ring of truth. <laughs> Every subscriber to title would have to have listened to all of those songs like on a loop for 26 hours to get the, right. the numbers that they're saying. So, yeah, Jay-Z, you might be in a little hot water up there in Norway. That's, wow. It's like a Ponzi scheme for rich musicians. Yeah. <laughs> I love this, though. Norway's National Authority for Investigation and Prosecution of Economic and Environmental Crime. That's a thing in Norway. I they wish actually it was a thing here. That. I know. I Wouldn't know. that be nice? It would be <laughs> so nice. Oh, wait, wait. We don't have a government right now, so we're not even going to get anywhere close to that. That is true. Well, in uh, unsurprising news, Netflix is raising prices across all of its tiers. Uh, it's uh, The streaming plans are going up between 13 and 18% making its largest price hike to date. Uh, the lowest $8 tier will now cost 9 bucks, while the 11 and $14 plans will go up to 13 and 16 bucks a month each. I don't know why anybody is surprised about this because they haven't really raised their prices since they started spending billions and yes that's billions with a B on actual content. Yeah, bill, like 6 or 7 billion a year on content. Yeah. So, um, I I I have no problem with this. I'm fine that's with paying fine. it. As long as as long as Netflix keeps up the content. And yeah, they are. So they're creating all their own right now. If this was, you know, if they were still just stuck in the we're licensing content from other people and we're battling with Hulu and Netflix has next to nothing, then I would stop paying for it. But they've still got a lot of great content coming in so yeah. they can afford that. And I'm OK paying 14 bucks or 16 bucks or whatever per month for the amount of stuff that I'm actually watching on Netflix as opposed to CBS All Access. Yeah, no, I'm paying. <laughs> I'm on the I'm on the mat, the like the biggest tier. I'm on the four person tier. With mm-hmm. the Ultra HD, I'm fine with that, right. you know, yep. and because the content does keep coming every weekend, there is something to watch on Netflix. And every week there's at least one new comedy special and I love their comedy special. So they need to keep that up. And, you know, I, w- I was getting tired of it for a while, but they've been reaching out to like international comedians and it really is. It's worth the, it's you know, it's worth the price of admission. It honestly is. It's still cheaper than going to one movie. <laughs> that is very true. Honestly, think about that. Yeah, I'm going to go see Glass this weekend, and it is going to cost me more than my entire month of Netflix to go see Glass. So, yeah. I know. mean, I think out of all the apps other than uh, Nickelodeon, because, you know, two year old, um, I watch Netflix more than anything else. Like the only reason I still have HBO is for Game of Thrones, which is starting up. And that's really about it. It's almost all Netflix for me. So, yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens to HBO's stock price when I don't actually or, or is HBO even publicly traded? I don't think so. I actually have no idea, but I'm not too worried about them because they've got a lot of good shows coming down the pipe, including the Game of Thrones prequel. So, they're, yeah, they're ramping themselves up. They're yeah, gonna, they have to. HBO is going to be yeah. just fine. <laughs> yeah, they're not going anywhere anytime yeah. soon. But yeah, like looking at the back catalog on HBO, it's just like, oh, really? That's that's <laughs> it. Uh, but hey, the Deadwood movie's coming. So I'll that's sign up. Right. I'll, I'll pay for that for damn sure. Now, I love this thing. Uh, Article 11 is the uh, EU copyright directive that's going into effect, possibly. It's Article 11 and Article 13. And Mm -hmm. this is the one where they said that Google can't use any snippets of any articles in their SERPs, their search engine results page, as we called it in the biz. So 
Google rolled out a beta version of what Google is going to look like if these things actually pass. And it is <laughs> hilarious. I'm like, well played, Google. Well played. There's nothing there. It's just the name of the the actual. It's like, you know, top articles. And it's just the name of the publication. No photos. No text. Can't even pull nothing, the title. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. And it's everybody's and everybody over there is just like, oh, you're just being mean. They're like, uh, well, this is actually what's going to happen if you pass this. <laughs> so would you like a taste of your own medicine before you actually vote on this? And it's mm-hmm. awesome. It is awesome. Oh, well played, Google. Well played. And in poor Snap News, their shares fell uh, 13 to 14 percent the other day after the it's basically like a conga line of the executives <laughs> walking out the door. Dun, 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 snap. Dun, 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 snap. <laughs> Going out yeah, the door. So, so, <laughs> snap. Yeah. I saw a really great graphic that showed like every high level executive that reports directly to uh, what's his face is basically as uh, Spiegel has basically quit in the last six months. Yep. <laughs> Which mean, lets you know how great a job he's doing over there. Yeah, it's amazing. How is he how is he still there? How is he still there? Does he have like Zuckerberg shares where they can't vote him out? I'd Does, imagine so, right? He's got to at this point because uh the company is not doing well. Nothing is working. Everything is tanking. It keeps going down, down, down and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, business economics 101, change your CEO. Mhm. Yep. Get an adult get an adult in the door. And so I mentioned I have a Roku TV and I've got mm-hmm. a, I've got a Roku box in my bedroom too. Mm-hmm. And uh if I'd have seen this I'd have been up in arms too, but uh Roku actually let InfoWars and Alex Jones onto their platform for about a hot second until everybody second. <laughs> said, "What the hell are you doing?" Mm. And uh yeah, in in the in the light of that turmoil, they pulled it immediately. Good. Good. This guy, you know, he can have his own website. That's, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, well, that, that's <laughs> even hard enough because I don't think any DNS providers are even giving him the chance. <laughs> uh, well, it's it, markets. That's if it's free markets, man. You know, if anybody is welcome to pick up this guy and put him on their platforms if they want to. But do it so at your own risk. At your and own risk. Yeah. Yep, and what we're finding out is people don't want him out there. Right. That seems to be the case. Yes. Here's the here's the statement from Roku. After the InfoWars channel became available, we heard from concerned parties and have determined that the channel should be removed from our platform. Deletion from the channel store and platform has begun and will be completed shortly. So Good. this is a this is a case where delete actually means delete. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, we've had a lot of talk about uh, science recently. Sunscreen, eggs, coffee, <laughs> bacon, blah, blah, blah. The latest one to come out is uh, screen time. We've all been hearing about how screen time is horrible for kids and teens and it's just destroying their lives. Research has just published a thorough assessment in Nature Human Behavior on screen time and mental health in teens. And it turns out that on balance, screens don't seem to be harming them at all. Examining data sets, including a whopping 355,000 people. Researchers found that there is a negative association between screen time and teen well-being, but it is so itty-bitty as to be practically meaningless. <laughs> is itty-bitty a scientific term? Scientific term, term <laughs> yes. <laughs> a digital technology use at most accounts for a dip of about a half of a percent in the well-being of teens, putting it on par with the mental health hazard of eating potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so... Potato time. Potato time, kids. But yeah. 355,358 is a significant sample size, I have to say. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Now, this is teens, not not 
uh, toddlers and things of that nature. So um, doesn't seem to be too much of a problem. So maybe one less thing to worry about until the next study comes out. Yeah, until next week when it yeah. comes back out. Man. So in in the internet is just having fun with itself news. Slack <laughs> has a new logo. And what a thing this is. What, what a sight to behold. What yeah. how this made it through one meeting, much less focus <laughs> groups, approvals. <laughs> oh my god. So I was I was trying to save it for the show, but I couldn't help myself. So I I, I tweeted this. I tweeted this. I made a made a little graphic that shows how the negative space in the design and the the boundaries of the new Slack logo basically is a swastika. Other people picked up on this too. I was not the only one that found this. And it's not basically. It just it, it is. is. It is a swastika. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It And I called it an ejaculating swastika because it looks like a spooge fest. I don't know what's going on with this. And, you know, when Slack started, Slack came out of the people who did Flickr. And mm-hmm. Flickr came out of a video game. The video game failed. They created Flickr because the photo sharing service was better than the video game. Then once Flickr sold, then Stuart Butterfield got the band back together, except Katarina, I don't think Katarina came with. And then they created another video game. And that video game sucked, too. But what came out of that was the collaboration software that they used to build the video game, which then became Slack. Now, my friend Daniel Burka was with those guys because he's an awesome Canadian designer. And I love that guy, but he left. He he took his money and ran. He was the smart one. He's been traveling the world. He's like, eh, fuck it. I'm out. You know, <laughs> uh, they need to get Daniel back because whatever this abortion of a logo is just needs to go away. I mean, when you tweeted it and I saw it and then, you know, obviously the app updated on my phone and I got the new logo. Thankfully, it has not updated on my Mac yet. So I'm still looking at the wonderful old Slack logo that doesn't have any neo-nazi incriminations whatsoever or spooge um i jesus i i really i i uh, speechless i I don't know how this got through a single damn meeting who the hell designed this it's updated on my mac and i have to look at it and it's got a purple background and Mm. uh yeah it's just this little noisy thing at the bottom and all i see is hitler all i see is hitler all i see is hitler (laughs) show title So we'll see how this this is going to play out because basically everybody on the planet is just like what what the what the what the what the what what the what so yes my ejaculating swastika go check out my Twitter feed at uh, twitter.com slash jpdef if you want to uh, follow that but uh, yeah I just I, I'm I'm gobsmacked utterly gobsmacked. This episode is sponsored by Molecule. Imagine if your phone was the same as it was in the 1940s. This is exactly when the technology you're using to clean your air was developed. The last major innovation in air purification was in the 1940s with the invention of the HEPA filter during the Second World War. Molecule introduces a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Molecule's PECO technology goes beyond HEPA filtration to not just capture but completely destroy the full spectrum of indoor pollutants including those 1,000 times smaller than a HEPA filter can trap. Molecule makes a meaningful impact for asthma and allergy sufferers. In a study of 49 allergy sufferers presented at the American College of Asthma, Allergy, and Immunology, Molecule's technology provided dramatic, statistically significant, sustained symptom reduction within a week of use. 
The results have transformed lifelong allergy and asthma sufferers' lives. And one customer even said that she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule doesn't just have groundbreaking technology on the inside, but creates a complete and clean air purification experience. From the materials used on the device, like its sleek, solid aluminum shell, to a streamlined filter subscription, where replacement filters arrive at your doorstep right when you need them. Molecule ensures breathing clean air is easy and seamless. Breathing clean air transforms the way you sleep, particularly for those who are asthmatic or allergy sufferers. Since we're not immune to the air around us while we sleep, we're still susceptible to the allergens and pollutants in the environment. With Molecule, customers have reported feeling energized after the best sleep they've had in years. Molecule's claims on its technology have been tested and verified by third-party laboratories like the University of Minnesota Particle Calibration Laboratory and University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense. Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has already helped allergy and asthma sufferers around the country better cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. So, for $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com and at checkout, enter code GOG. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and at checkout, enter code GOG for $75 off your first order. Security? Ha! We're back this week with Joe Kerrigan, Senior Security Engineer with the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, sitting in for Dave Bittner, who's going to go get his little toothy fixed because he got a cavity. Joe and Dave co-host the Hacking Humans podcast where they take on social engineering. Hello, Joe. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So I got a little bit of follow-up from last week. Uh, we talked about what kind of camera that you can have in your home, a security camera, that you can upload your data to that is not in a proprietary cloud. And it right. dawned on me that I have a system that I bought from Amcrest. They're, these are these uh, Pro HD cameras. They're 1080p. I have four mm -hmm. of them, and then I have a garage camera, like a, a static-mounted outdoor camera. And you can put SD cards in them, but it also... You can do things like upload to your NAS, like my Synology. I forgot. I, I actually have licenses to upload the video from those cameras to straight to my Synology. So right. I, it comes with a nice interface. You can you can actually FTP. Yeah, I saw that. You can you can FTP the, the files to a, to a remote location. Yeah, I'm just hoping it's SFTP and not just regular FTP because that would be kind of scary. Yes. Like who uses FTP anymore? <laughs> but uh, there, are, there are a bunch of different options. But yeah, these cameras are pretty robust when it comes to being able to use your video feeds as you like. Right. And I like that part. I, what I like about it is even if you do use the cloud service, you go if you check out their privacy policy, they say how we use your information. It says we use your personal and device information solely for the purpose of delivering services to you. And when it comes to uh, who owns your information, they're very clear on the fact that you own the information and you can delete it at any time. Yeah, you put this in the show notes and I went and looked at it. And this is one of the best privacy policies I've ever seen. It is so crisp and clear. And easy to read for humans, not lawyers, because lawyers yeah. aren't human. Yeah, it's very nice. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, and and the thing about these cameras, they're really good cameras. You know, these I got the pan and tilt ones, so I can hang them and and go in with my web interface or my iPhone interface mm -hmm. and pan around and do it. Their cloud service is god awful. It's got is one it? of the worst interfaces I've ever seen, and it's really slow. So I stopped. I paid for it for about a year. And right. I was just using those. And then I ended up moving to the Logitech Circle camera system because the Logitech web interface is so much better. Their app is so much better. 
but you don't get the same options for where you store your data. It's Logitech or nothing. Right. But right. the interesting thing about Logitech is they give you 24 hours free for all of your cameras. So if you have your cameras up and you get broken into, you can just run to the website, pull the video down and get it without having to pay a monthly subscription, which I really liked. Right. And I, I now pay for all of my cameras to be on their cloud system for 14 days, which still turns out to be less than the Amcrest system, which was just like I said, god awful. All of the it, software that comes with Amcrest is terrible. All of their and, apps are terrible. Ugh. It's pretty costly too. It's not not cheap to keep things on there. Their their price model is time based. Uh, yes. So how long you keep it up there? But they're clear about what delete means. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they are. It, it, it means it's deleted. It's gone. We don't keep it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put these up in my house in my studio and everything as a backup because the fact that it does have SD cards in it, mm -hmm. and you can just you just throw in a little micro SD card like a 64 gig micro SD card, which you can get for like 40 bucks now. In all of those, and that will give you like two weeks worth of video, and then it will just auto cycle through and delete the old stuff. Well, that's cool. I really like that. So then, you know, if somebody one. breaks in. Yeah, they're really they're really nice and they're affordable. That was the yeah. the one thing that I got. They're like you know seventy bucks I think mm -hmm. for a full pan and tilt camera with you know it's motorized night vision the whole nine yards. I mean, it's HD. Yeah, yeah, it's ten eighty p. No, no four K, uh, but it's good. Hopefully the the video is useful in the event that you need to turn it over to law enforcement. A lot of times the video is not useful because you can't really make out who it is. So yeah. you, hand it, you yeah. hand it to law enforcement, you're like, I can't use this. Yeah, I haven't found a really good 4K one, which is what I really want for like the mm -hmm. outside of my house so I can get license plates. License plates are what I really want when people try and break into things like, oh, my roommate's car multiple times. Yeah. You know, that's the really <laughs> hard part. Uh, I've got I've got a Logitech Circle 2 outside my garage right now, and it does give you good video, but you still can't make out the license plate with night vision. And that part kind of sucks. And you think you'd be able to get that with a with a 4K camera? I'd, I'd hope so. Yeah. You know, I'd hope so. Or maybe I'll just like stick a license plate reader in the bushes. Yeah, that, do that. that would be better. They, you know, they have these uh, automatic license plate readers that law enforcement carry around with them everywhere now uh, to track where we are, right? <laughs> track our yeah, track everybody else. I want to track everybody else that comes down my street. Yeah, maybe you can get a hold of one of those and just uh, plug it in and log all the license plates that go by. Our workaround without having to be able to do the license plate reader was these Logitech cameras that I have are USB powered. So you mm -hmm. plug them into USB brick that then you plug into the wall. But they work on power bricks. So ah. I took I took a Logitech uh, Circle One camera and put it on the dashboard and plugged it into an anchor power brick every night and would just leave it on the dashboard. So if somebody broke in, the, video, the video. Exactly, because the right. video is pumped into my Eero system, which has enough like mesh network in the neighborhood here where I can, right. you know, I've got enough distance to the cars. So I'm getting video from the camera all night long. So if somebody broke in, I would at least get their panicked face when they looked up and saw the, saw the camera. Saw the camera. <laughs> Even if they <laughs> stole great. the camera, it wouldn't matter yeah, because I would still the have them. Yeah. Yeah. And those cameras are like a hundred bucks. So it's well worth it just to get that video. I mean, I could make some good YouTube money on that. Right. <laughs> Seriously. So let's talk about the news of the week here. Alrighty. What do we got? This collection one data breach that everybody's talking about the 773 million record Big dump. This is from Troy Hunt. He uh, he found this up on some drop site and downloaded it and started going through it uh, and then normalized it to some extent, uh, took out all the duplicates and, and produced this. Um, or he has this. He hasn't really shared what he has. What he's sharing is the hashes of all the passwords that he's collected over time. Right. 
there are emails associated with these pat with these uh, passwords that are broken. So if you are a hacker, if you were a malicious actor, you could take the email and the broken passwords and hope that people were reusing their passwords and start trying to log into different services with these usernames and passwords or emails and passwords. Yep. That's the, that's kind of the gist of it. And he put it into have I been pwned of mm-hmm. course, which is what he does. I love that site. Great service that he does. Oh yes. Fantastic. So yeah, Krebs on Security came out this morning saying that this is an old dump, not a new thing, and it's part of a a whole host of you know breaches that you can buy pretty cheaply. Right. Yeah, these are these are out there for you to get on the on the market, and it looks like what this guy is doing is just aggregating the data. The guy that's selling this uh, collection one, he's aggregating data from previous dumps. Uh, Krebs said some of these things are two to three years old. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not good for credential stuffing. Some people don't change their passwords. And it, if you reuse passwords or you pick weak passwords, that's still valuable in the credential stuffing attack. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, it's still still valuable data, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not it's not a new thing. It's like no. this guy is just going around getting all the breaches off the dark web and putting them together and just packaging them up. He's like, you know, he's a curator. He's He's basically a very evil curator. He's a value added reseller. Exactly. He, his value is I've I've saved you the trouble of having to go out and find all these things yourself. Yes. Yes. And I love there's a little graphic on uh, Krebs where he talks about how everything basically comes back to email. Right. If your email is hacked, then basically you've just, you know, you lost the farm. Yep. That's yep. kind of it. Absolutely. And that's an, another case to be made for a using a password manager, which we have been saying for six years. Right. So if you haven't done that yet, come on. <laughs> That's one of my points of evangelism. Get on the password manager train. It doesn't matter what you use. Just use it. Yep. Use it. Don't reuse passwords. And also, when you can, please, pretty please, with sugar on top, use two-factor. Yes, absolutely. That will mitigate a lot of this because I I put in my passwords that uh, my old passwords that I used to use before I found one password. I found religion and a lot of them were in in the database. And I'm like, okay. That's good. So then I went into one password and I searched for all the times where I still use that password. And right. fortunately, because I'm a nerd and I don't have much to do on the weekends, zero. Zero. Excellent. Zero showed up. Yeah. Very good. I love that part. That's excellent. Yeah. That and it could work. And if you use one password, they have a feature called Watchtower that actually yeah. pulls from the Have I Been Pwned database and shows you all of the accounts that you have that were not even were but possibly could have been affected by any breach that has come out it's like this this data might have been so the watchtower service searches the pwn password database and lets you know if your passwords appear in the database which means you shouldn't be using them because when someone gets a password hash the first thing they're going to use is a a password list and now they're probably going to use this list (laughs) and they're going to uh, uh they're going to find it fairly quickly regardless of how secure the hashing algorithm is yeah, definitely. I mean, if you know anybody that's still using MD5, take them out back behind the woodshed and shoot them, please. <laughs> yes, do something mean. <laughs> yeah. I would say kill their cat, but that's that's not fair to the cat. Yeah, but, that's right. Yeah. The cat didn't do anything. <laughs> no. But yeah, so all in all, this is it's kind of a tempest in a teapot because everybody's thinking that it's this huge thing. Yeah, it's not new information. It's just a, um, you know, you can see how aggregating information can become apparently more dangerous right and i'm looking at this uh, screenshot he has and uh, collection one was 87 gig collection two is 526 gig much bigger so 
much bigger. And, you know, bigger doesn't always mean better, but you don't know which actual breaches are in those collections. You know, I'm almost tempted to just go shell out the money and buy them just so I can take a look at them. But I don't know if that's illegal since I'm not a security researcher. Would that would that be considered illegal? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Hmm. That's a very good question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm using it for news gathering purposes, but I don't know if in a court of law I could call this show news. But. I think you could call it news in a court of law. Yeah, I think you'd be protected under the First Amendment. And this information is available publicly to anybody that's willing to pay for it. As long as I don't reshare it. Yeah, if, if I yeah. don't reshare it or actually use it so I wouldn't be under the uh, you know Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Yeah, I don't know. I would I would definitely talk to an attorney before going out and buying that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Except I can't afford an attorney. I can afford the breach, but I can't afford an attorney. Right. Uh, that, that, that's, <laughs> therein lies the rub. So anyway, everybody, don't be too worried about this, but definitely get your password manager on and change your passwords if you use the same password everywhere. Absolutely. Don't do that. Don't use the same password anywhere. That's just asking for everything to go go south on you. It's it's a terrible idea. Yep. All right. Moving on. What you got? Uh, Oklahoma. Not okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The Oklahoma Securities Commission had left a three terabyte cache of data exposed and unprotected. Uh, on the internet. And this information included seven years of FBI investigations in the state. Oh my God. Isn't that fantastic? (laughs) Three terabytes. Right. Was this an unsecured AWS bucket? I think it was inside because the story story from uh, the Oklahoma um, state government is that there was a firewall configuration or an installation of a firewall that wasn't configured properly. Uh, and the researcher who found it found it after it had been on Shodan for a week. So, oh my God. I think it's safe to say that any of that information has now been breached out to somebody. I'm sure somebody else has it. Uh, the researcher probably wasn't the first one to find it. Yeah, that's crazy. Because um, I went, I met Dan Tentler up in Canada when we went to the Fireside Conference, and he was telling. I mean, he's a Shodan master, right? And he's like, I can scan the entire internet in uh, about two hours now with the computing power I have just doing port scans and things like that. And then he went into his Shodan spiel and there, there's just so much you can do with Shodan. I want to meet the guys that built that because man, that is a useful tool. It is fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I really want to dig into it if I, when I have the time, but I fear that I'm going to go down the rabbit hole when I go in and dig into Shodan because that is really my jam. Yeah. You, you will, you will, uh, you'll get distracted by anything on that site and go, let's look at this. Let's look at this. It's, it's, it's an amazing site. You should go look at it and, and, and play with a little bit and just see what's out there. Yeah. It is fun for an afternoon. Even if you're not tech savvy, just go check it out and just start doing some searches and look around and then you will just see some things that will blow your mind. I'm still trying to find out if any of my security cameras show up there. Yeah, but it may cost you a good night's sleep or two, but <laughs> this is on there, you know? I could just get this. Yeah, yeah, you can. So what do you think about this seven years of FBI investigation thing, though? That is really. Uh, that, yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of uh, a lot of data that that was probably sensitive. It probably has some kind of financial impact to some of these companies. Um you know, I think AT&T was listed in there as being part of some investigation. I don't know how how they were involved, but um, <laughs> probably cooperating and giving everybody their 
everybody yeah, else's cell yeah, phone they're, info. They're good at that. Uh, what's great about this is nobody's talking about it. The the FBI is saying we're not commenting on it. We can either confirm or deny anything. And the uh, Oklahoma state government saying oh, we're not going to comment on an ongoing investigation. Do you ever watch Hogan's Heroes? <laughs> yes. Remember, when I, was I know nothing. I know nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Hogan, <laughs> Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I'm just, yeah, wondering who has this data. Like, you know, even this this one researcher found it, but you know somebody else has to have somebody it. Somebody else has it. Somebody else has it. I can I'll, almost it, guarantee you. Yeah. If it was on Shodan, somebody, somebody else has got it. Because there's exactly. so many people trolling that site all the time looking for things just like this. Exactly. So I really want to see that FBI file. I yep. really want to see that FBI file. And in big news, uh, I don't know how this is going to play out, but uh, a judge ruled that feds can't force you to unlock your phone with your finger or your face. Yeah, I heard Ben Yellen talking about this on the CyberWire. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing because up until now, they could use your biometrics like your like your thumbprint, even right. if you're dead, to unlock your phone. Yeah, and this this changes the um, the the stance of it because they're saying it goes against the Fifth Amendment right to not incriminate yourself. Yeah, they're comparing it to. Uh, it's the same as a password, which they've already ruled you can't uh, you can't mandate that someone give up their password. Um, and even though your face or your your biometric stuff can be used in other ways, since you're using this as essentially your password, uh, this court has ruled that you can't um, you can't be forced to to do that. You can't be compelled to uh, essentially testify against yourself. They're saying it's the same as uh, as giving up your password. And cops everywhere rolling over in their grave with this one. Right. Because, man, that, that takes away so much investigative power from them. Mm, yeah, that's going to be what they say. I, I don't know that I agree with that. Oh, I don't either, but that's what they're going to say. Right. Yeah. You know, you go back to the uh, to the case of the of the San Bernardino shooters where they the law enforcement there, I think it was the FBI, was trying to get their phone unlocked and Apple wouldn't help them. Uh, and then mm -hmm. when they got the phone unlocked, there was nothing of value in there because the phone that had the valuable information was the one they destroyed. So I think this is a good ruling. Honestly, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I like I'm it with it. I like it a lot. Anytime, anytime that, uh, that a court rules on the side of, of privacy, I'm happy with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, since we don't have a government right now, right. <laughs> things are kind of going cattywampus. And I found this over at TechCrunch. Yeah. And it's a list of all the federal websites that uh, run on HTTPS who have uh, security certificates that are going to expire soon. Yep. And since nobody is home to call up the registrar and redo that certificate, oh my God, I cannot believe this. This to me seems like an essential operation, doesn't it? Yeah, this should be covered. Right. It should be covered. It absolutely should be covered. But for some reason, somebody doesn't view this as an essential operation of government and, uh, and they're just letting it go. They, they should not be doing this. Hey, but we can get burgers for a sports team, but we can't get security certificates <laughs> right. for. Yeah, well, uh, I'm looking here. Uh, IRSauctions.gov, IRSsales.gov, malwareinvestigator.gov, which is the FBI's malware analysis site. Uh, You'd think that those guys should be able to that they, they, get they, their certificate updated. They would be prioritizing this as a uh, as an essential essential piece of duty. Uh, you know, last week I was uh, uh, on the CyberWire podcast with Dave. And I wanted to look at the new NIST standard for passwords, but the NIST page just says we're shut down. Oh, you got to be kidding me. And that's it. That's all they said. Yep. I, I, I mean, 
why would you shut down? A, it's not, not like you're paying GoDaddy like five ninety nine a month. You have your servers. They should be up. They should have been paid for in advance. You know, why? Why would you take down a website during the shutdown? It makes no sense at all. This stuff is already paid for. Yeah, it's not the actual NIST page. It's the because uh, the NIST page is up and running right now. But the the page that had the uh, the standard on it. So I sent you the link to the NIST page that you were that I was talking about earlier. It's it's where you download wow. the standard, and it says uh, right on it that uh, due to the fact that the federal government is currently shut down, the website pages.nist.gov will be unavailable until fur- further notice. Wow, because yeah, web pages cost so much money to right. actually serve. Right. So <laughs> you know, there's there's nobody there, but there is a computer serving this page out, and uh, but it's not giving yeah. you the standard on the passwords, which was uh, actually a pretty good update to the standards, I, I think. Yeah, that that standard changed because they had before, like you have to change your password every 90 days. That was removed, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And a um, uh, couple different things. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, first off, uh, that was a that's probably the biggest thing that you should not compel people to change their passwords frequently because that causes them to pick uh, weak passwords. There's a lot of research that, that points to that. Uh, there was a Virginia Tech article uh, back in the spring that said if if you practice, you know, just augmenting your password slightly that I can usually guess your new password in less than 10 guesses. So um, the, 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 the suggestion that you don't force people to change their passwords is born out of the fact that if you do force them to change their passwords, they're going to take the easy way out and pick a password that's very similar to the last one. Yeah. They're just going to change one number or one letter or just add in like a different like control character at the end. And it's essentially like not changing your password. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That doesn't mean that individuals shouldn't change their password. Uh, if you have a policy of uh, changing your password on you know, a semi-annual or annual or even quarterly basis, then uh, you're going to be better protected against the unknown breach than someone who doesn't. And moving on, over at Wired, they have a great story about the millions of dollars that Silicon Valley spends on security services for executives and CEOs and all of the high-level people that you je- definitely sometimes want to go out and kill. Yeah, uh, yeah they, Mark Zuckerberg. They, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I think that this uh, that there's a direct relationship between how much the CEO is hated and how much money they have to spend on them. For example, Ap- yes, Apple only spends three hundred thousand dollars on Tim Cook, but Facebook spends seven million on Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> And it's expected to spend ten million next year, right? On yeah. Zuckerberg <laughs> and Larry Ellison uh, is only one point six million. Ah, oh, man, that's. Uh, I think in the old days, I think if you adjust that for inflation back in the old days, he probably spent a lot more because everybody hated Larry Ellison back in the day. <laughs> yeah, He's, I, I was about to say I don't think they're spending enough on Larry Ellison. <laughs> yeah. No, he's uh, I'm being facetious. He's, of course, he's a weird. He's yeah. He's a weirdo. Yeah. He's a weirdo. And now, now that he's on the board of Tesla, I can see them even upping that even more. Yeah. But, I wonder how that's going to go. Yeah, and they got six hundred grand for Sundar Pichai, which is from you Google. Know, yeah. Okay. Yep. Three hundred grand for Eric Schmidt. Who cares about Eric Schmidt? He left. Yeah. Why are they still spending money on him? I, he's writing crappy books now. Probably part of his uh, separation deal. His golden Kevlar umbrella. Right. His, That's exactly. what he got. Golden Kevlar. So all in all, this is just a it's a crazy thing. So if you see Zuckerberg on the street and you think about like, oh, I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind. Yeah. I'm sorry, Don't. but he's surrounded by ex-Massad agents <laughs> right. who will basically break your bones. You will learn Krav Maga the hard way. <laughs> yeah. On the <laughs> on, on the, the other end. end. Right. <laughs> yeah. That is that's a 
a lot of money. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, if you're if you're a high profile person like Mark Zuckerberg and, and the truth of the matter is with all the all the terrible things that Facebook has been outed for recently. I don't think this is a bad investment. I mean, his personal safety probably is a priority. I don't think Beyonce even spends that much. Yeah, but uh, you know, Beyonce is is loved by people. Uh and that's, <laughs> that's true. kind of my point. You know, I think Mark Zuckerberg is is uh and and even Sheryl Sandberg, who's second on this list with two point six million, um, you know, they're they're both right now in, you know, constantly being uh targeted in the media for another another problem with Facebook. Oh, look how Facebook is uh, is violating our privacy again. Uh, so that's that's why I think drives this. I wonder how much Alex Jones pays on security. I don't know that guy. I, I just I don't understand that guy at all. I don't get him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I listened. I've talked to people who who listen to him from a humorous standpoint and and, and laugh at what he says. But he he has followers, you know, and oh yeah, and he talks no. about like crazy conspiracy theory stuff. It just I I can't I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, see, that's why you're on the show, right? Because if you could wrap your head around it, we wouldn't invite you <laughs> <Right>. on. <laughs> that's good. This is a self-selecting sample, right? Yeah, is what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> it's like flat earthers, you know, it, uh, all these other conspiracy theorists. But the, the main one that irks me the most is flat earthers. I I, I can't abide a flat earther, and I I see mm, it. It makes me crazy just even knowing that they're out there and that they're serious. Oh, they're serious. They're serious. Very All right. serious. There was a there was a time when somebody was going to fund a reality TV show and it was going to pay flat earthers to go find the edge. That's what they were going to do. It's like, okay, you have a million dollars. Go show me the edge. Right. Yeah. Let's that's it. Let's find the edge. That would be a great thing. A great thing to do. I I would. Yep. If that was a GoFundMe page, I'd give them ten bucks. <laughs> Definitely, and, and all all I can think of is my dog chasing his tail every day, right. He's like going in circles. <laughs> it's like ah, uh, it's about as effective. Yeah. So finally, I've got one last article here from JeffreyBigham.com. This is a guy who went to an Airbnb, and there were security cameras in the Airbnb, and he claimed that uh, there was not enough disclosure from the the renter of the Airbnb because so he walks in and it's like oh. Shit, there are cameras here. Uh -huh. What's going on? And he didn't even notice them for a day. Right. But since they were in the picture that they posted on Airbnb of the actual unit, Airbnb came back and said, well, that that constitutes disclosure because it's in the it's in the photograph. Right. Well, so he writes an article about how Airbnb screwed him. And then he got bad reviews from the actual owner of the Airbnb because he went in after a day when he noticed them, he disconnected all the cameras. Okay. And said, no, I'm not going to be right. No, and the, no, no, no. The owner says, now you're tampering with the systems of the house, right? It's like unplugging the air conditioner. And once his article got traction, the only way he got any you know, response from Airbnb in the proper way is because he publicly shamed them. Right. He got traction from his article and then Airbnb came back and said, no, we were wrong. We're sorry, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you got caught, Airbnb, because most of the time they're just like, yeah, who cares about you? Oh, wait, I have a platform. Oh, wait, I have a megaphone. A lot of people Let me care talk about, about you. This. Now we care about you, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I thought that was just a ton of fun. You know, we have that, uh, this guy just outed. Them. We have the same the same issue when we do vulnerability disclosure um, here. Uh, I'm, I'm responsible for all of our vulnerability disclosure. Our policy is that we are going to notify anybody that's responsible for something 
when we find a vulnerability and then we're going to go public with it after some period of time. Our default mm -hmm. period of time is 14 days, right? Oh, that's short. Very short. But there's a reason for that shortness. Uh, it's because okay. the first time we said it's 90 days and we didn't hear anything back from the company. So if if a company goes, whoa, whoa, 14 days, that's not enough time, right? We say, well, how much time would you like us to give you, right? And whatever they ask for, we'll give it to them. You know, if they say we need 90 days, we need 120, well, that's fine. We, we You can have... Uh, you can have a, up, you know, a reasonable amount of time to fix this problem, but we tell them 14 days because we don't want to be bound to sit around and sit on our hands with a vulnerability to an honors, uh, to a non-responsive company. I totally get that. So this is the same kind of thing is this, this company comes in, um, you know, I, I won't name the company we had this with, but I disclosed a bunch of, a bunch of vulnerabilities to them. Uh, and then the professor who uh, was responsible for the research on the vulnerabilities uh, was was being interviewed by by Bloomberg, and Bloomberg contacts the company and goes. Johns Hopkins says they can't get you to respond appropriately to vulnerability disclosures, and then we got their attention. Uh, and now mm -hmm. now that company has a bug bounty program that we actually work with them to develop it, and and now they have a defined process for submitting bug bounties. But until the the point is the same here with these AB, Airbnb folks and with any company that you deal with, they will not move unless you uh, motivate them to do so. And the seems the only way to motivate them to do so is by embarrassing them. You can either strong arm them financially right. or you can strong arm them with public shaming. Yep. That's pretty much it. Bad press or a bunch of money. Right. Those are the only ways. They're not going to do it of their own accord. Nobody's going to do it of their own accord because the, the people in the C-suite don't get it. They don't get it. Their IT department is probably tearing their hair out going... We need to deal with this. Right. And they're just like, uh, it's, a, it's a rounding error on our part. We don't care. Right. We don't care. Exactly. But once it shows up in the paper, then they're like, how could you let this happen? And then the IT guys get blamed and then it just spirals <laughs> down from that. Yeah. It's a it's a vicious cycle. But anyway, yeah, this guy, he finally got his his comeuppance with Airbnb. Uh, hopefully his negative review was reversed. They, he doesn't say that in the article, but uh, uh, they did refund his stay. So he did get his money back. Okay. And once once he got his money back, and I, I give this guy tip of the hat, made a sizable donation to the EFF. Ah, good for him. Good on you, man. Good on you. That's the way to do it. Support the EFF. Those are those are our guys. Joe, thanks for stopping by and filling in for Dave and Brian, who just could not be here today. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I know that they have things to do that are so much more important than doing the show. It seems to me like their priorities are a little out of whack, Jason. I do believe so. I do believe so. Dental hygiene and child rearing. Ugh. Come on. This is a podcast. Podcasting to do. Seriously. Seriously. Well, you're welcome back anytime, Joe. It was a pleasure having you. It was my pleasure being here, Jason. Ups and doodads. I got a great update this week on my iPad, which makes me so supremely happy. GoodNotes mm -hmm. is one of my favorite iPad apps. I had GoodNotes for... There was some issues with it. There have been issues with it since it came out with the fact that you can't change like the color of the paper and stupid things like that when you're writing it down. But mm -hmm. if you have an Apple Pencil and an iPad, GoodNotes is the the go-to note-taking app. It it is fast. It you know, there's almost no lag when you're drawing and writing and doing stuff like that. GoodNotes mm -hmm. 5 came out and I have to give these guys some of the I I give these guys the best kudos and credit in the world. If you're not a GoodNotes owner already, you can go buy GoodNotes 5 for 
$8 is a steal for what this app does. But if you own GoodNotes 4, they figured out a way using bundles inside of the iTunes store that I can get GoodNotes 5 for a free upgrade. I got it for free. Yay. <laughs> it's cool that, that somebody actually figured out how to do that. That's very nice. And the, 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 that they did it. So I downloaded it. I tried it out. The thing about GoodNotes 5, I mean, there's tons of new stuff in here. Tons of new stuff. But the searching on handwriting is otherworldly good. My handwriting is terrible. I can attest to that. I picked up everything, that, or it picked up everything that I, t- that I wrote down. And I was even just writing fast, even trying to fool it. It is so good that it just picked up every single word that I tried to search for afterwards. It's, an, it's incredible. Mm. So if you're a note taker, if you like to write notes out longhand and don't want to carry around a pad and paper, GoodNotes is so cool. And it's got a bunch of other new features. It is a, I mean, if, even if you don't have it, eight bucks is a steal for this app. This should be a $50 app as far as I'm concerned. Right. It almost made me want to go out and get the new iPad just because I want my 12-inch iPad so bad. But I, I refrained because <laughs> you bought a drone. No, I also have my privacy.com card linked to my Amazon account now, which has spending limits. So I could go turn it off and do all that stuff. But I'm sticking with the plan. I'm sticking with the plan. I only have so much money I can spend on Amazon per month and uh, and also on Apple and things like that. So uh, I, I stayed away from the new iPad, even though it's killing me because <laughs> I want it so damn bad. But yeah. If you're a note taker, good notes five for the iPad and it and it syncs with the iPhone all over iCloud, stuff like that. So you have your notes in both places. It is so awesome. Excellent. Now I ran across a good article over on Recode. The future of voice assistants like Alexa and Siri isn't just in homes, it's in cars. Um the argument here is of course that cars are an even bigger market for voice assistants. Um some 77 million U.S. adults use voice assistants in their cars at least monthly, compared with 45.7 million using them on smart speakers, according to a new survey from voice tech publication VoiceBot.ai. .ai. So voice tech has been around in cars since 2004, when IBM launched a voice-controlled navigation system in Hondas. Uh, cars are arguably one of the best case uses for voice technology, since driving prohibits, and this is one of those things that kills me about society, because we know this is illegal. But uh, everybody's doing it anyways, people from using touchscreens or their phones. So you can argue that voice assistants are already in your cars because they're on your phones, but you're not supposed to be using your phone. You're supposed to be driving. Yeah. So (laughs) you need it built into the dash. And of course, what all the automakers have been doing so far is just putting touchscreens in the dash. No, you're not supposed to be doing that either. Yeah supposed to be driving <laughs> so you know everybody's kind of going this is a huge market where are they and speaking of that where the hell is the echo auto that i've ordered that i've pre-ordered or i've signed up to be interested in i've gotten not a single email about it and i check the page and it still says nothing i saw an article later like early this week i think 21 million people have signed up for the the pre-release of the echo auto i think they're overwhelmed it's an absolute no-brainer. Every yeah. time I'm driving, even just like five minutes to go pick up my son from his school, I, I'm like, why don't I have this? Why, why can't I just say start playing some music or start playing a podcast? This is ridiculous that I don't have this here. I need this here more than I need it in my house. Okay, Louis C.K. wireless on a plane guy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I, want, I want to be able to talk to my car like Kit. That's what I want. I want Kit. And I want it now. And why don't I have it? Because I'm so damn entitled. I want to be able to talk to my car. Yes. Yes, I do. And it's safer. By the way, whoever, Mm. I don't know if the guy who did the voice of Kit is still alive, 
But Amazon, oh Amazon needs to be finding that guy right now, and that guy needs to be the voice of Echo Auto. By the way, why is that not an upsell for for all of these voice devices? Because I remember back in the day, I okay, close your ears, millennials. This is old school stuff. When you would get uh, <laughs> GPS devices, you could buy and download voice packages like Darth Vader and things like that, and it was awesome. Why don't these devices have that? Tom Tom is the one that did the Darth Vader one. Yep. And yep, every time you, that every time you'd go off route, he would just say, I find your lack of faith disturbing, which is worth the price of admission right there. It's the best. <laughs> and I totally associate that with Hawaii, because one of the first trips I took with my wife before she was my wife was to Hawaii. And we brought my navigation with me and it had the Darth Vader voice. So I remember driving around Kauai being told, you know, you have lost your faith. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it was the best in the breathing. And it was amazing. So you are missing out on a huge opportunity. You could afford the licensing. Get on it. Yeah. I mean, God, I would spend twice as much if Kit would be in my in my truck. That would be so totally, awesome. Totally. So in uh, moving on to smart things that we may or may not need, we knew this was going to come, but Nike has officially introduced its first self-lacing basketball shoes, the Adapt BB. Yes, straight out of Back to the Future, these new sneakers are designed to provide a truly customized fit for every basketball player, according to the company, and thanks to a power lacing system called Fit Adapt that can be adjusted manually with buttons on the shoes or with, of course, an app. You have an app for your shoes? Well, you do now. Oh, I, I, <laughs> and of course, next, because of all next. this, you have to you have to charge your shoes. So they come with the oh my a wireless charging mat <laughs> because you now have to plug in your shoes along with everything else. So, oh. I, you know, I they have some really interesting technical reasons that why this may be of interest to really serious basketball players. But I, I doubt it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. No, yeah. So there's that. And uh, hat tip to friend of the show, Mike, who just sent me this this morning. Um, I actually am kind of, I wish this would have been around when I was a kid. Teens launch Uber Eats for condoms in bid to beat embarrassment. <laughs> Three teenagers are hoping to combat the embarrassment involved in buying condoms from a store. And now this is in New Zealand. Auckland 18-year-olds Jamie Martin, Harry Copeland, and Isaac Mercer have set up an online business that delivers the contraceptives right to people's doors. It's called Package clever clever it was very sparked, clever it was sparked by conversations that highlighted young people's reluctance to buy condoms in person i think this is a genius idea it's quite smart but it does not address what happens if your parents answer the door and open up your package yeah, exactly because that's going to be even more embarrassing than the person you don't know down at the right aid here's the deal though you're still going to have to look the uber driver in the eye you know that's that was always the embarrassment when you're buying condoms and you go up and it's the old lady at the at the drugstore and you're you know you, you slide up your trojans and then she's just like kind of like looks down looks back up looks down looks back up at you and then kind of gives you a wink and it's gross <laughs> you know it's like i yeah, guess i um, guess what they really need to do is they need to move to package drones or package bots package bots oh god <laughs> oh man i what's what's this world come to i you know what buy a buy a tub of them on amazon for like 10 bucks you're all good <laughs> anyway but i get well actually yeah that's when we need the amazon drone because if you need it right then then you know <laughs> and honestly I mean, absolutely positively has to be there right, right now, now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and how many times have you been in that situation where it's like it's gonna happen uh shit i'm out let's oh god i gotta i gotta never <laughs> oh really never. okay because i was very responsible and very keen on not missing out on opportunities <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, yeah, for me, I just never thought it was going to happen. So when it did, I'm like, oh, shit. 
I'm running down to Rajneesh at the 7-Eleven going, hook me up, brother. Hook me up, brother. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Time's <laughs> The clock is ticking. ticking. The clock is ticking. Let's go. Oh, man. So on, on different news, Fortnite rakes in a record $2.4 billion in 2018. That's amazing. It's a game that you don't even pay for. It's a free game, free to play. They There's made... no such thing as a game you don't pay for because we all know if you get hooked, you're going to be buying stuff. Exactly. That to the is tune, the entire point. <laughs> to the tune of $2.4 billion. Wow. Yep. Gamification works and, and the game theory works. And that's, uh, I, they've all figured it out, give it away for free and then just start charging people who get hooked on it. And you're going to make a lot more money than just selling it as a product. Psychological manipulation is a thing. Yep. That's all yep. it is. So good for them. They made a bunch of money. So hopefully they'll mm-hmm. pay, uh, what's his name? Carlton from the Fresh Prince for that dance. <laughs> brick a brick. Some more cool science news. Life on nearby exoplanet Bernard Star B might be possible, according to astronomers. Uh, the chilly Bernard Star B is located six light years away from Earth, or roughly about the length of a White House press conference. Uh, could still be hospitable to living organisms. Astrophysics at Villanova University speculate the planet could have a hot liquid iron core that produces geothermal energy. That warmth might support primitive life under the icy surface, just like Arthur C. Clarke's 2001. Oh, there you go. Speculated that it happened under Jupiter's moon Europa. Very Mm. cool. That is very cool. Mm. And uh, just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should. Japan's (laughs) robot hotel lays off half the robots after they created more work for humans. Yes, that's right. Did it? Mm. Yeah, Japan's Henna Hotel. It mm-hmm. turns out, um, yeah, their Velociraptor robots kind of sucked, and uh, they couldn't answer the most basic questions. I think they use Siri, which is the problem. They should have used Google for all of their right. voice assistant stuff, because <laughs> they have they have a doll-shaped assistant in each room called Churi, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, But it couldn't answer the most basic questions, like when does the theme park open and things like that, or when's my flight? <laughs> so they got rid of you know half the robots and replace them with this. humans <laughs> two robot luggage carriers could only reach about 24 of the over 100 rooms and failed in rain or snow they would also often get stuck trying to pass by each other on the left on the left coming by <laughs> on your left nope <laughs> okay yeah so, bad yeah. program unfortunately these things do tend to uh improve uh dramatically quickly so uh we're not there yet but uh, we will be we will be at some point but yeah i just thought that was just uh, <laughs> like yep not ready for prime time Mm-mm. Closing shout outs. A big shout out to the Cranberries. They have announced a new album in the end. It'll be its final album with late singer Dolores O'Riden. Um, no news if we're going to get other Cranberry stuff after. Probably not. Um, it's one year to the date of her passing that they announced it. Uh, it will arrive by April 26th via BGM. Uh, the 11 tracks were demoed prior to her death and with the blessing of her family, completed with the help of producer and longtime Cranberries collaborator Stephen Street, who also worked with the Smiths. Uh, the single is out, a uh, link in the show notes, and it's pretty damn good. It was nice to hear her voice again. I know. It was so sad, but uh, I can't believe it's been a year again. I know. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was a great song. It was a great song. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just the name of the album just kind of gets yeah. me, totally gets yeah. me. But it'll be a it'll be an interesting listen when it comes out, I'm sure. Yeah. So. Get some wine, kick back yep. and a box of tissues. It might get dusty yeah, in the get room. Some, <laughs> yeah. Until next time, I'm Brian Schulmeister. 
And I'm Jason DeFilippo. Thanks for listening to Grumpy Old Geeks. To support the show and keep us on the air, go to patreon.com slash GOG. Toss us a buck a month and we'll love you forever. If you'd like to give a one-time or recurring donation, go to GOG.show and click the PayPal button in the sidebar. We'd also like it if you're listening on Overcast to press that little star button next to the episode. That really helps us out. Show notes for this episode are at GOG.show slash 313. From there, you can find links to old episodes, leave feedback, ask questions, and get links to stuff we like. Stay grumpy.